Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome. My name is Tim McDonald. I'm the lead pastor here at AJC, and we are so excited to worship with you this morning. Hey, wanted to do just a little quick tie back to Shelby, what Shelby was talking about with our giving. Uh, we haven't had an update in the last little while. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing another financial update to let you guys know where we're at. But we wanted to make sure that you guys know that we are continuing to tell that story forward of where we've been at and the amazing ways that God has been providing for us. Uh, we're so thankful for all of you that have so generously given. Uh, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do in this next season. But we are on a very special Sunday. I don't know about you, but I can almost feel it in the air with the worship today. Um, there's uh, a, this thing that happens every single year. And honestly, for almost 2,000 years, uh, the church has historically taken a bit of a break from its normal rhythms on this day to remember the moment that the Holy Spirit fell on the early church. It's kind of like the church's birthday. Um, we, we've been in a series in the book of Luke uh, called Becoming Like Jesus, and we're getting close to wrapping that up. But today, we're going to look at actually Luke's other book, his second book, and the history of the early church called the book of Acts. So pull out your Bibles or your Bible app, and if you need a Bible, go ahead and throw a hand up in the air. One of uh, the ushers, one of the men and women around the room would love to get a Bible to you. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep this one. Today... Is, this, is the moment historically that we celebrate Pentecost. We're told in the first chapter of Acts that Luke, that he wrote this account to describe all the things that Jesus began to do and teach up until the moment that he was taken up into heaven. And the crucial idea there in the beginning of, of Acts is that Jesus had laid out this way of thinking and living and behaving uh, and that his disciples saw it and they were like, oh, I want, we, we need to follow that. And so they did. They followed him, and hence our Becoming Like Jesus series that we've been in. But Luke also points forward, using the word began very intentionally, because the book of Acts is the continuation of those works that Jesus began. And, and this time, it's through his spirit-empowered church, his, his family, in fact, even before Jesus leaves, he tells his disciples to wait and watch for the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that this mission that he was calling his people to was going to be way bigger than they could possibly imagine. And, and in fact, it was going to require way more than them of them than they had to give. And so he tells them in Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The mission was going to be a global mission. And it seems like Jesus wants everyone to hear the good news. He wants everyone to receive healing and freedom. He wants everyone to be a part of his family. So they wait, about 120 of them, cram-packed into an upper room, praying and seeking God's presence and guidance, actively anticipating what God was about to do in their midst. And then we read this in Acts 2, starting in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit shows up on the scene and it's like this crazy light show. It's fire, literally, right? And the pun was intended. That was a cue. You can laugh at that point. There you go. That was good. Yeah. Okay. And people, they take notice because it's so crazy. And, and they start running to the room. Like, what's going on over there? Jews, converts to Judaism, Gentiles. They're coming to see what is up. The entire scene is so crazy that people begin wondering if these upper room Jew, Jews have been drinking too much. So Peter jumps up and he preaches the very first church service, explaining, first and foremost, we are not drunk. That is how the first sermon began. We are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. No, says Peter, this is what the prophets have been pointing to. Please, everyone, if you would, stand to your feet as we read the scriptures, as I read these out. Acts 2, 17 says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miraculous wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured, us, poured him out what you now see and hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come, Holy Spirit. We confess that we need you to lead us. We confess that nothing has changed for the last 2,000 years. If you don't show up, nothing good happens. But when you show up, the impossible happens. So lead us. Fill us with more of Jesus' life and his love. Help us to give it away. We need you even this morning to soften our hearts so that we can become more like Jesus. Fill us with more of your presence and teach us how to obey. We love you, Jesus. This is all for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. There are moments, right? Moments that change like everything. There are those la-la land crossroad moments. 
Any La La Land fans in the room? Right, it's moments like, is it go this way, is it go that way? You know, I actually genuinely really like the movie. I just really hate the ending. Uh, I'm one of those. Um, and, and honestly, it's like those moments happen to all of us. We, we have like a pivotal decision that, that happens right not in front of us. Should I, should I tr- keep trying to climb this ladder that's in front of me or should I pack up everything and move across the country to this new opportunity? Should I take the promotion that I've just been offered or should I jump into that grad program that I've been dreaming about? Those moments, we're faced with them all the time. 28 years ago, this week in fact, was one of those moments for me. I don't really remember much about the dates leading up to it and I have a vague memory of meeting up for a calm the nerves donut the morning of, at Tim Hortons by the way, for any fans in the room. Uh, and then somehow I got like all dressed up and I was at the church. But I will never forget the moment looking down the long aisle of chairs and seeing my wife come around the corner in her dress. The moment where everybody was standing and smiling. There's a few people crying, mostly her old boyfriends. <laughs> that moment 28 years ago, when she came down the aisle and she said, yes, I do. I want, I want in forever. And from that moment was 28 years of love and joy. And there's been difficulties for sure, but so much love and joy. And, but everything changed, right? Everything in my life, every trajectory has changed as a result of that moment. I mean, from that moment has come like ministry in like two different states and three different countries, four different kids and a married in fifth kid, a passion to to build all sorts of families all over the globe through times of plenty and in need, through sickness and in health, a best friend who's helped me become a better version of me. Yes, even AJC, even this church has been impacted by that moment 28 years ago. Thank you for saying yes. And that, that moment, that's kind of like what it, what's happening in the book of Acts. It's hard for us because we could kind of just gloss, gloss over it so quickly, this, this dramatic moment when, when literally the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church is born Everything changed. Everything was set in a new trajectory. There was no going back. At Pentecost, the church was born. We became a family with a mission and a purpose, empowered by the very Spirit of God Himself. Now, there might have been some sparks on Brittany and I's wedding day, but there certainly wasn't a violent wind and tongues of fire and lots of different languages being spoken. All of that was pretty unique to the Pentecost experience, but deeply symbolic and important for us to understand, important for us to catch. So I want to do a quick little, a little bit of context work around these two powerful images of fire and wind. So keeping your finger in the book of Acts, we're going to do a real classic here. We're going to scroll all the way back to Genesis. Keeping your finger in Acts, let's flip back to the book of Genesis. So much, so many essentials come from the book of Genesis, Genesis, helping us understand what's going on in the story. And if we're thoughtful and we allow the Bible to explain the Bible, some of those, these kind of crazier images like the fire and wind in the upper room will make a lot more sense. 
Genesis 1, verse 1, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the moment. The symphony of God's creation work is about to begin. And the Spirit of God, he's poised hovering in anticipation and expectancy of what is about to happen. This is that like big inhale that happens right before the symphony starts to play. Another translation of the word spirit of God or that phrase spirit of God is the breath of God or the wind. This was what was hovering over the waters, the wind of God. The Hebrew word here is ruach. And, and it brings with it kind of like the power that we often associate with wind. Think about like standing at, on Cannon Beach. Everybody, anybody ever stood on Cannon Beach as a storm is actually blowing in? I mean, it is like majesty. is so much power. Think about the power of that wind and the life that we often associate with breath. That gasp that a baby takes right, right after they've been born, before they're about to let out their first cry. Ruach is the combination of that power of God, the power of wind mixed with the breath of life pulled together. God's Holy Spirit is powerful and, and he's life-giving. And though we can't physically see him, we see the fruit of his work, his power like going wherever it wants. Throughout the scriptures, we see the Spirit bringing knowledge and understanding of dreams and future events like in the prophets. Or, or we see acts of physical strength that he brings to Samson or, or, or the time that he brings like creativity to the artists in the tabernacle or in, specifically in Ezekiel 37 where God shows the prophet a vision of a valley of dry bones and he tells him to prophesy to the breath. And when Ezekiel does, life enters the bones. Ezekiel 37 verse 13 says this, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I bring you up from them, when I fill your dead with life. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. This, this prophetic vision that gets spoken of to Ezekiel, it sits out there for like hundreds of years till we're introduced to this amazing man named Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, we're told that the Spirit comes and literally rests or remains on Jesus like a dove. And from that point on, the Spirit empowers everything that Jesus says and does. Jesus heals and teaches and walks in perfect step with his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Later, John tells us in John 20, verse 22, that Jesus breathed on his own disciples and passed that empowering presence onto him, onto them, the breath of the living God. But that's not the only image that we see at Pentecost. There's the wind, that powerful, life-bringing wind. But we're also told that there's fire. So back in Genesis, Genesis 15, we find the very first telling of or description of fire in the Bible. And, and, and it's this story where God is making a covenant with Abram. 
And Abram, he, he tells Abram, I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your reward. And, and I'm going to give you a land to become a people. And there's this depiction, this description of an ancient kind of contract process where, where God literally commits himself to Abraham by passing through a sacrifice. And we read this in Genesis 15. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. God reveals his presence as a blazing torch passing between this animal sacrifice. Later in Exodus 3, God meets with Moses in a bush. And what's, what's going on with that bush? It's on fire. And in Exodus 19, he makes his covenant with his people on Mount Sinai. And we're told that the Lord descends in the fire. In fact, uh, in Exodus 24, 17, it says, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of a mountain. Later, the people followed a pillar of fire through the wilderness. And when God consecrates his tabernacle, it's with fire. All throughout the scriptures, we see God's holy, consuming presence in judgment, but also in purification. A fire that can destroy, but can also make impure things clean. And again, hundreds of years later, we would hear from a messenger named John the Baptizer in Luke 3, he, he would cry out, bellow out in the desert, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming is more powerful than I, and, and his, his straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And again, it's Jesus, right? He comes onto the scene and his, his empowering the Spirit's empowering presence working through him in a ministry of purification. But the thing is, is Jesus doesn't do it the way we expect him to. No, instead of coming with this flaming fire judgment, he comes and he touches the untouchable and he brings wholeness. He breaks the bonds of those in bondage and he brings freedom. He flips the tables of the greedy and he pours his life out for all generously. He forgives where we wouldn't forgive. He sees those we wouldn't see. He sacrifices as we wouldn't. And then he says, like with a fire flickering in his eyes, come, follow me. Come, do the things that I'm doing. Be like me. Because Jesus is the model of the fully consumed life. The all in, chaff burned away, completely surrendered to the purposes of God, anytime, any place, any cost, life. It's Jesus. And it's Jesus who gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost so that we can follow him in his footsteps. God's very presence poured out in wind and fire. And just like God's ruach brings power and life, so his breath now empowers his people with his very life. 
We're like those bones in Ezekiel brought into new life and given a new spirit that can, be, that can animate our being, allowing us, like Jesus, to walk in step with our Father, bringing his life and power with us. And like that holy fire falling on the mountain, filling the temple and consuming, yet not destroying, purifying, and making holy. God's holy fire, no longer one pillar, but now many tongues. It rests on all of us, all of us who will call on the name of the Lord. God declares that there is a new temple and it's no longer a big building in Jerusalem. It's his people, a multi-ethnic, all-in family. Or as Paul puts it so bluntly in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Don't you know? Paul asks. So much of the story of God had pointed to this moment. So many prophecies and sign points pointing to the time when everything would change and then it comes and, and it's dramatic and intense and there's wind and fire and people speak in different languages. But only a couple decades later, Paul would pen this letter to the Corinthians and he feels compelled to ask the Corinthians a question that I think we all still wrestle with. Don't you remember? That spirit that came, the, the wind that brought power and life, the fire that brought holiness and wholeness, have you forgotten? Have we forgotten that day 2,000 years ago? Pentecost celebrates the moment that we became God's people, marked by his purpose, filled with his power, set apart for his purpose. But sometimes it can be easy for us to forget the miracle of that moment, which is part of the reason why Pentecost was put on the calendar, on the, on the Christian calendar, alongside Christmas and Easter. Like, like taking the time to remember the gift that is Jesus by giving gifts or the sacrifice that Jesus made by eating chocolate. That one's still a little confusing to me. I mean, I'm not complaining. I like the eating chocolate bit, but I don't get the correlation exactly. Pentecost is the day that we remember God's gift of the Holy Spirit and the mission he has called us too. We stop and, and we remind ourselves that, that this continuing work of Jesus, it's there for us to participate with, preaching the gospel, bringing wholeness and holiness, freedom and life through his empowered church. We slow for a moment on this day to examine our own lives and ask this question, like what what chaff still needs to be burned away inside of me? What dry bones still need to be brought to life? We pause and we listen to the whisper to be led by our Father, allowing us to walk in step with him, just like Jesus did. And by God's grace, if we happen to find ourselves in one of those moments where the Holy Spirit is hovering, he's poised over the chaos of our life, we can cry out to God and ask him to unleash a creative work of, of his power in our day, in our city, 
Are we ready? Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be ready. Acts 2 paints this picture pulling from Joel's prophecy of our days, the time when the Spirit would be poured out on all people. Beyond the craziness of the upper room, it describes what God was going to do next with his family. It gives us a vision of the church, a vision that should kind of frighten us a little bit and kind of get us fired up. It uses all this kind of like end of days language, but, but there's this one little portion that I really want to focus in on, and it's from Acts 2, verse 17. It says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And the fruit of that, as they step into it, as the church steps into that calling, verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Three quick observations from Acts 17. First, first thought, God's presence is generously given. Generously given. The phrase poured out, it kind of carries with it this idea of gushing. Think like Niagara Falls. Anybody been to Niagara Falls? I mean, think about the power coming off of that. And it's coming off on everyone. The healing, the wholeness, the empowerment, it's just waiting there to be received. It's, it's, it would be kind of like standing beside Niagara Falls and going like, I'm thirsty. It's right there. The, the outflow of God's powerful, the way he wants to be with us, to give us his presence and his life. But honestly, humanity has been far too content with lesser pleasures. The overflow of God is sitting right there, but it's just outside of our grasp. I think of this, that incredible Lewis quote. He says this, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. This is our actual problem. In this hedonistic, driven society that we live in, we settle for far too little. God offers us himself and we settle for sex. God offers us himself and we settle for the comforts of money. We are a people content with too little, not too much. If only we had the ability to see the impossible, to imagine the mystery, if, if only our imaginations could be filled with the beauty of God to such a limitless degree that we would begin to dream God dreams. 
to have waking visions of his glory manifested in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, if only we had the imagination of heaven. Second thought, we have been given the imagination of heaven. Let that sink in. Joel's prophecy, the one we see in Acts, it's pointing forward to a time when the imagination of heaven would fill the children of God. And they would start dreaming impossible things. Now, the language of the New Testament uses things like visions and, and the prophetic and dreaming dreams, but this is what we're talking about. For too long, my friends, we've allowed our fear of getting it wrong, our busyness, our entanglement in this world around us to rob us of our God dreams. But they're there. I know it. I've seen them. I've heard them. In those quiet moments where, where, where we talk and you share your hopes and your dreams and, and, and you say, I wish, I, I wonder if God-sized dreams, ideas weighed down by the burdens of life. I think sometimes we over-mystify the idea of vision and dreams. We allocate them to super-Christians, to missionaries, to pastors, but on this Pentecost, friends, I want you to think carefully about the words poured out and all. He has poured out his presence on all. Like Niagara Falls, God's presence has been poured out and we just need to see it. Are we willing? Are we willing to have the courage to ask what if and then let God do what God's going to do? I mean, I get it. Fire and wind, it can all seem a little scary and they're definitely outside of our control. But, but what, if, what if the cure for that sorrow that you have been wrestling with is actually a life of greater meaning? filled with his spirit? What if the sin that you've been struck, struggling with, that you've been stuck in, is actually the result of spiritual boredom? What if freedom lies on the other side of simply saying, God, I want it all. I want it all. What would it look like for men and women, young and old, to begin to dream dreams again? in our church and in our family, to ask what if. Last thought, why young and old? Why does, why does Joel and then later, you know, later in Acts, why, why young and old? What's, what's going on there? Well, partially, it's kind of the Hebrew way of saying like everybody's allowed to play, whether you're seven or whether you're 77, everyone's invited to come. But I also think that it has to do with the nature of family. God has designed a pattern in human nature, one that involves older voices guiding the younger voices. While they build stuff, while they experiment with stuff, while they make mistakes and accidents, one that creates strength in unity as different generations learn to love and create side by side. 
And God is doing some amazing things in the next generation. Right now, in our midst, in this time. And I want in. So, what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to invite another friend, a friend back up to the stage. He was up last week. Everybody, Tom Gomez. Hello. Yes, and Tom is, I mean, Tom's been a, a friend for ages, and I love, yeah. love him to death. He's been on staff for the last little while. He's taken over kind of, kind of full leadership of our youth and middle yeah. school through high school. And I asked Tom, I just like, I wanted to see like a little bit, like as a young leader, like yeah. where, have, where have you seen yourself growing in this? Yeah, um, I mean, lots that I could say. Um, but my kind of journey of awareness with the Holy Spirit has uh, has been a journey. Um, I grew up in a church that didn't really uh, say anything about the Holy Spirit, so I didn't really know who the Spirit was, what He does. Uh, it just was never talked about, um, so I was a, a bit oblivious. Um, my mom, I would find out later, was secretly charismatic, so she was like, <laughs> she, she was probably praying in tongues quietly next to me while I was like, oh, I don't think the Spirit exists. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it wouldn't be until I was a freshman in college when I was really searching for meaning and I was wrestling with my beliefs uh, that a friend actually brought me to this church. And I came into a worship gathering and I had a really palpable encounter with the presence of God. And it changed everything for me. Uh, it's kind of like when you uh, don't realize you're unaware of your need for something or someone, but then you have that experience or you meet that person and you can no longer live without it. Uh, that, that was the experience that I had. So then I was like, okay, shoot, I need this. Uh, and that looked like getting plugged in with youth here. And the youth ministry was really dependent on the spirit. And so it was a place where I could just learn what does it look like to pray in this way? How do we wait for the Lord? How do we invite him into our thinking process or our plans or, or whatever it might look like. So it was a journey. The first teaching that I ever got to do was on 1 Corinthians 12, which is on spiritual gifts. So I was like thrown into the deep end. Uh, and so it's kind of been like ever since I began studying scripture um, and immersing myself in the church, it's been very aware to me that the presence of God is a necessity. And then I don't want to do ministry apart from the spirit. Uh, which seems obvious, but <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, what this looks like practically, uh, even for, in my life right now. A couple of months ago, I was in a, I was in a gathering where the Spirit was very present, and I was just kind of sitting back watching uh, what God was doing, and and I was overwhelmed in in observation, and and I started to weep just watching the, the spirit move uh, because it was so gentle, so kind, but people were being met in their emotional pain over here. And then people over here were having a reconciliation moment or forgiveness, or people over here were hearing a word of encouragement or hope, or this person was literally being physically healed and they were happier. Somebody right next to me who had been struggling with depression for years just started to laugh like, and joy was like spilling out. And in that moment, it clicked for me like, oh, like, of course this is the gift God would want the church to have. Uh, so I think what I'm learning right now is that when the Holy Spirit becomes the gift to the church, every single person can be met in their individual need, uh, which I think is incredible. So 
Yeah, and that's yeah. the incredible part. I mean, Jesus even says, like, it's actually better that I go yeah. and so that I can send the helper, right? And right. that's the reality of the Spirit's presence being so individual that, like, Jesus can literally minister to each one of us in our uniqueness yeah. because he's in us, he's with us, yeah. you know, it's amazing. Insane. So how have you seen the Holy Spirit moving specifically in this next generation? Yes, um, well, since, my, since just the beginning of my time with youth, it's been really aware to all of us that with young people, they don't just need an intellectual framework of religion or Jesus, something to believe like with a mental map. Uh, they need encounter with l the living God. So they still need to know God and know the scriptures, but many are searching for an encounter and, and many call back in their journey with the Lord to this is the moment I encountered the presence. So we are just trying everything we can to like make space for that and uh, practically like slowing down in our prayer, making space to listen, asking God, what do you, what do you wanna say to these students? What do you wanna do here? Just like slowing things down to invite the presence of God. Uh, and then seeing some really unique things happen. We had a spring break retreat uh, a couple of months ago now, I think two months ago. and we were in a prayer gathering a couple, like a month before and just getting ready. And I was like, all right guys, uh, we have this spring break retreat coming up. We wanna pray for it. We're going to Canby Grove, uh, blah, blah, blah. And three girls in the room like, like stopped me and were like, did you say Canby Grove? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, we were in a prayer meeting last night at Bridgetown and we were praying for youth. And then somebody had this really powerful word about a Canby Grove awakening. And they had no connection. They didn't know we were going there. It was just totally random. And so we're all like shook, like, uh, what does this mean? Um, and so, we're, but, but we just said, we need to be open-handed. Like, what might you want to do here? Uh, and so we kind of kept that posture throughout the retreat. And then on the last night, because uh, it's kind of mysterious, like God might say something, but it's like, what, when will this be born? What does this mean? Uh, but we get to the last night and even the first song of worship, there's like this shift in the atmosphere and through worship, through teaching, into prayer ministry in the back half, um, the spirit just fell on the room in this really unique way. And students were just being swept up in the presence and there was like everything happening, uh, repentance from sin, people were being set free from shame in really powerful ways. Students were coming to faith in Christ. Uh, there, were, there were physical healing uh, happening. I see Gabe over there. Uh, there's some physical healing happening. There's just like all these things happening in the room. And it was this marked moment for our community of like, this is real. Like God is doing these things uh, with us right now. So it's just really encouraging for our students to see that and for us to experience it. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is like, it obviously with the Holy Spirit, it's not always a highlight reel. Like uh, we share the stories of breakthrough and encounter, but we also have so many stories of silence, of waiting uh, for every one breakthrough we have with students or in a, in a gathering, there's you know, 10 or 20 moments of like, did that prayer do anything? Did that go anywhere? I'm waiting, I'm hearing, nothing happened. You share a word, it doesn't resonate. Um, and that's just kind of the mystery, I guess. Like we, we continue to lean in because we've seen God's power, but uh, we don't, it's not always a win. We don't always get it right. So if 
you've been there. Me too. Yeah. We're on yeah. the journey together. I think it's one of the beauties, or one, something that's beautiful about even the, the picture and acts of like the young and the old yeah. experiencing this encounter together because there is something about the fire of youth and the, the, the what if and let's go, let's do something crazy for, of youth. But then there's also the, the, the beauty of experience yeah. and the fact that like there's people who have had to pray that prayer over and over and over again. And they know what faithfulness looks like, a long obedience in the same direction. And when you bring those two things together, mm. incredible things can happen. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's the beauty that's almost being presented in this yeah. moment. Uh, in the book of Acts. So, so, true. so yeah, yeah, we want to pray together. So I'm yeah. going to invite everybody to stand up. And um, we're going to step into a time of prayer together. Yeah. And uh, Tom's going to lead us in it. Yeah. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.